Welcome to A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Podcast. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And this is Jeff Woods. That's the camera. You can say hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. No problem. Pleasure, pleasure to meet you. Um, we all, I always like to allow the guests to kind of describe what they do and who they are. It's always better that way. Sure. Because you do it on a daily basis. Yeah, easier for me. Yes. Uh, so my name is Jeff Woods. I'm a real estate investor, uh, a business owner. And uh, I primarily focus on investing throughout the Niagara region. And my business uh, basically encompasses real estate investing, property management, renovations, and then education. So I also coach and teach other people to invest in real estate as well. I have quite a bit of interest in many of the things that you've described, not only in, my, in the process of buying multiple real, like real estate for rent, I guess, rental units, and also I got to live somewhere too. But I also build houses. I have okay. some interest in in stuff like land surveying and, and lots of just interest in general with renovations. So great. I'm sure I'll have lots of questions. Yeah, that's actually, um, we own development land in the Caribbean. Uh, so one of our goals is to build and have property down south. Uh, but as of yet, we have not actually built anything. No. We usually acquire pre-existing buildings, usually multifamily, commercial, uh, properties and then we'll fix them up and rent them out for the, for the stuff that's overseas is it much more difficult for like zoning and, and the things you need to set up a build out in the caribbean is it's it? it's um in many aspects it's much easier to do there there's less red tape yeah um but as far as financing and stuff goes it's a little more challenging because most markets are cash or seller financing whereas here you can go through traditional uh, bank loans as well so so yeah, so it's a little bit more upfront capital, but as far as like zoning and permits and whatnot, it's it's a little bit it's easier. A bit more lax. Mm -hmm. I do find it is pretty restrictive, especially in Ontario with the green belt, but even in areas in the Niagara region too. Too, it seems very strange the way that things have been zoned or, or how, I guess where cities can where you can build like let's just say a, a two story unit, but where you can build only one, and and it seems like a lot of the rules are a little bit arbitrary or or they just take a lot of money and time to change, which I, I don't have too much experience with that kind of stuff, but I hope to in the future. Yeah, and I, and I think Niagara region, as it's becoming more and more popular and population growth, uh, the cities are starting to open up to opportunities as well, like Welland, for example, where you're from, mm -hmm. um, they uh, are really good with development and they're allowing uh, secondary suites um, in homes and stuff too. So. Of course, you got to go through the proper procedures and zoning and make sure everything's to code. But um, they're very, uh, very f a friendly city to deal with as yeah. far as investment goes. Maybe you would know the answer to this specific <laughs> question. I have a place that I believe was termed legally as a duplex. Okay. Which it has separate and it has two entrances for each of the separated areas. There's no way to get between them. Like it's it's separated, but the utilities aren't separate. Okay. Which strikes me as odd. How can you have a duplex that isn't separate utilities? Uh, well, that's that's possible. And the other thing that comes into play a lot of times, especially if it's an older existing property, is a lot of these properties are, are not necessarily legal, but they're legal non-conforming. Which means if it was ran as a two-unit property prior to the bylaw passing, hmm. and it's ran consistently, then you're able to maintain that uh, two-unit dwelling or or triplex or whatever the property may be. So 
it could have been a scenario where it was grandfathered in really um, or just when they were developing they didn't put separate meters however as an investor that's an opportunity for you to look at because if you could get somebody to separate those meters now you can build the utilities to your tenants and create uh, better cash flow do you think it would be difficult to go through that process of getting separate meters uh, like everything, it's a little bit of a challenge, yeah. but um, you just kind of go through the steps and, and depends on the property and, and whatnot uh, as well, but, but it's not too terribly difficult. I imagine I'd have to pay an electrician to do quite a bit of work because it is all in the same breaker panel and, and I'd imagine you have to separate it at some point. And... Yeah, and again, that's something where you'd have to get the professionals to come in, give you a quote and see what's involved. And then depending on cost and time, if it's worthwhile doing so. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Would you say, you're saying that Welland's quite lax. Do you see the growth in any particular region being surprisingly good? Because I've noticed um, a lot of people buying up places in Welland, yes, but it seems like Niagara Falls is kind of going up in, in value a lot. Like rent rental housing is a lot more than it used to be even just mm-hmm. two years ago, and people are buying a lot of places, it seems. Well, I, I think, uh, I mean, I, I love the Niagara region. I came down here years ago and fell in love with it and never, never went back home. And, uh, you know, as the years have progressed and most recently, we're starting to get a lot more demand because as prices are starting to grow in GTA, uh, everybody's getting pushed out of the market. And so they're starting to ripple outwards into Hamilton and ultimately into the Niagara region. So we're seeing a lot of that growth. And as you mentioned with the green belt, that limits the amount of development. Mm-hmm. So as population just continues to pour into Ontario, uh, they have to live somewhere. And in my opinion, there's uh, not many better places than the Niagara region. Yeah. I like living here. Yeah, I, I openly admit I am less, not as close to being a real estate investor because I currently <laughs> own no property. No. But it is a dream and plan eventually to do so. I've just taken... And other times we both ended up here kind of in a similar circumstance where you came here to go to college and I came here to go to university. I come from Barry comes from Tilsonburg, but okay. Yeah. Just never, never left. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of fall in love with the place. I mean, we've got a lot of, a lot of wonderful attributes to being down here and Mm -hmm. in between both great lakes and close to the U S border, close enough to Hamilton, Toronto and, so yeah, a lot of wonderful things. Strangely enough, weather was a big driving factor, but it hasn't been very good this winter. Yeah. <laughs> it's been pretty cold. And I like the photos down here. Yeah. Lots of weddings. Lots of, lots of weddings. It's a good place for, for our wedding industry. You guys do a lot of photography work as well? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Good. Photography and videography. Um, and everything else. You brought us a book, which I guess yes. we might as well talk about sooner than later. This is, okay, so are you the only author? So there's multiple authors, right? Yeah, I co-authored that book with two other uh, amazing investors, uh, both out of Ontario. Uh, Quinton is primarily focused in the Durham region, and uh, Andrew focuses in uh, Barry Aurelia, Wasaga Beach area. And then, of course, I'm kind of Hamilton, Niagara. And we both, uh, all three of us actually, utilized a very similar strategy to grow our portfolios. So uh, as we met throughout the uh, real estate circles and began to get to know one another, we found a lot of common similarities and so we decided to do a book together to help other up and coming investors really uh, maximize the real estate potential. 
I should add the title is The Ultimate Wealth Strategy, Your Complete Guide to Buying, Fixing, Re Refinancing, and Rental Real Estate. But um, I, I guess a question I would have is, is it very specific advice to this area or is it more general? Like, Because I know there's lots of real estate investing books that are, honestly, they don't give you enough detail to really do much. Yeah, it's not specific to a geographical area, No, but it is a specific strategy. Right, so this strategy could be done uh, anywhere throughout Canada or the U.S. essentially. Is it more of how to set up your business or is it maybe perhaps how to find certain contractors or, or people that are in the know? Uh, well, it's, it's a specific strategy. So to kind of give you a, a brief overview of what it is, is most people when they get into real estate investing, they're looking at buy and hold, so buying apartment complexes or, or rental units, renting them out mm -hmm. for a long period of time and creating cash flow. Okay, letting the, the tenants pay the mortgage down, the property grows in appreciation, um, tax benefits, and then monthly cash flow. So that's one very popular strategy that a lot of investors do. The challenge with that strategy is that it takes quite a bit of time mm -hmm. to build up your portfolio, okay? So then the next strategy that's very popular, and there's a lot of TV shows about it, is flipping properties. Mm -hmm. So now, with that strategy, you're acquiring a property, fixing it up, and if all goes well, you're selling it for a profit. Now, the, the plus side of that is you get a really nice payday yes. up front quick. The downside is you've now sold the asset, so you've got no long-term wealth accumulation. In order to earn more money, you've got to go do another deal. So both of those strategies have pros and cons to them. But as a new investor, when I was developing my portfolio and I, I was trying to figure out how could I get best of both worlds, right? How could I create the long-term wealth mm -hmm. and also get cash today so that I can live my desired lifestyle? And so this strategy helps you do it. And so basically it's a, it's a combination of those two strategies where the front end looks like a flip. You're buying an undervalued property, right. fixing it up, so on and so forth. But rather than selling it, what you're doing is refinancing the property, hmm. pulling out your equity. Another plus to that is when you take equity out of the deal, you don't have to pay capital gains. Whereas if you sold the property, you'd have to pay capital gains. Hmm. So now you get to pull most, uh, if not all of your money back out of the deal, rent it, create the cash flow, create the long-term portfolio, uh, but then you've got your capital back to reinvest. And so that was really the strategy that allowed me to scale my portfolio. Uh, I really started to heavily focus on my education and investing in, in uh, 2007. I've been investing since 1998 though. Um, and we can dive into that if you want. But in 2007, I invested in my education and my coach and so on and so forth, really learned this strategy. And at the time, I set a goal that I was going to hit uh, over, I wanted over 100 rental units by the time I was 65. Wow. And so I'm nowhere near 65. I went to work implementing this strategy. And in six years, I had crushed that goal. That's fantastic. Mind yeah. you, my goal was only 10 by the time I'm 30, which isn't six years so but I actually want to go back to the two strategies I'm kind of using the first one at the moment I, I thought that the second strategy you described was a little bit prohibitive because wouldn't you need the money up front to buy the house instead of because I know you have to pay a lot of money to back out of a mortgage I don't really know how to get around that 
necessarily because I'd be interested in flipping houses, but I don't have the money to outright buy a house with cash right. at this point in time. So at part of this strategy in, in the book is we teach people how to raise capital. Because mm -hmm. again, you know, you hear if you watch the late night infomercials and the, you know, the gurus on Facebook and they talk about no money down and, you know, and it sounds really too good to be true. And certainly when I started out, I, I thought it was a lot of BS. And it's not that real estate doesn't require any money. It most certainly does, but the money doesn't have to be yours. So if you can learn how to raise capital from other people and you know how to put the deals together, then you can utilize other people's capital and credit. And so with that, you're able to scale quickly, right? Whereas most people go the traditional route like yourself, mm -hmm. where you're working diligently, you're working hard, you're saving up and you're trying to do a deal. And, and that works, but it takes a very long time. Yes. And so when you can use other people's money, uh, you can scale much quicker. As a really broad concept, that maybe it's because of what I look up on, on YouTube and other websites, but now I'm getting advertisements from somebody that's giving a similar pitch almost. Uh, I guess he has a business selling information and books and whatever about how you can use other people's capital to raise, I guess, the amount of cash flow that you have, which is, is an interesting concept. And I kind of brushed whatever he was saying off because it did sound a bit too good to be true. Mm -hmm. so I guess I'll have to look more into it. Yeah, it's it's one thing when you see, you know, uh, some figure on TV or some guru on Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it, you know, it sounds too good to be true. But when you're actually meeting people that are doing it right here in your hometown, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it makes it a little bit more uh, realistic, right? And more achievable. So that's really what I want to focus on doing is is helping Canadians and helping people right here in the Hamilton, Niagara area. Um, basically duplicate what I've been able to do for myself. It's interesting. It sounds really good as a concept too, but there must be some people that maybe raise some doubts because as soon as you go about trying to help people, are there any people that just think, you know, what's in it for you? Like, why are you helping me with this kind of thing? Like what inspired you to try to help other people? Well, I, I think it's the natural progression and evolution of business, right? I started out as a, a broke young guy. I come from humble beginnings. My family never had anything. Uh, to this very day, my, my mother, father, and sister don't own a single piece of property. And so I really had this deep, deep burning desire to kind of break out of the poverty cycle, to change that within my family, and, and ultimately went to work uh, with a lot of years of trial and error and failure and lost time and lost money, right? All the horror stories that come along with it and slowly figuring it out until eventually I was able to, to put all the pieces together and create that, uh, create the wealth. I was able to fire my boss, resign from my day job. I, you know, I, I was at the casino and I would have to get up at 3.30 in the morning to go to work and now I get to wake up when I want to wake up, right? Mm. Land down south, uh, time, get to do what I like, get to work with people I like. And so once, you know, you, over time you have all these systems and procedures and, and the lifestyle that you desire, the natural, at least for me, is I want to teach other people how to do this too, right? And so in, in the beginning and one of the lessons I learned very early on is you can't help somebody that doesn't want your help, right? Because I wanted to help my parents and I wanted to help my friends. And, and so I would constantly be trying to inspire them to do this and, hey, you can do this and I'll show you how. 
And of course, if they don't want your, your help, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. But over time, you just start to put the message out there and you start to attract the people that do want your help. And so those are the people that I like to work with. And, you know, if, if you're willing to put in the work, it's not easy. It's not a get rich quick program. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes consistent dedication. But if you're willing to put in the work, you can do it. What would you say is the hardest part of the work? Like, what would you say is the hardest part of your job specifically? Uh, well, the hardest part is a mindset. Mindset, yeah. Right? It's we get conditioned by our parents and our teachers and our preachers and the news and the media. And so overcoming all those beliefs of it's got to be too good, you know, it's too good to be true. Right. So really overcoming the mindset has been the challenge for most people, myself included. You know, because like I was saying before, I started in 1998. Well, I never really started to hit a level of success until uh, 2007, right? So when I started to really invest in my education, because again, I had a bad mindset. I was taught if, if I want something done right, I've got to do it myself, right? You know, all these beliefs that aren't true. Hmm. It's very difficult to scale a company of that size if you're going to do it all yourself. So you have people managing the properties that I would think? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So really where my focus is, is I focus on creating the systems, creating the streams of income mm -hmm. and, and doing what I like and what I enjoy about real estate, because not all of it is, is uh, enjoyable or fun. And then everything else I have delegated out to people that are better at those tasks than I am. Mm -hmm always been very interested in that concept of once you realize I, I suppose as you're come, becoming like an older teenager and maybe an adult you can't be a master of everything you do need to delegate right. things if you really want to succeed and have everything taken care of yeah you must know a lot of really good contractors and people that can can get stuff done then you must have a lot of good connections yeah and again that was all a lot of trial and error right i've gone through a lot of bad contractors and and that's one of the challenges of real estate is is finding good reputable contractors that are going to deliver what they say they're going to on time and on budget mm -hmm. and over the years what i've done is i've because one option is to outsource right to hire contractors to hire a management company that's one option the other option is to do it all yourself which then limits your ability to grow but for me, I focused on a third option and I said, okay, well, how can I create this for myself in-house? So rather than hiring a management company, I hired an employee, trained them to manage the properties the way that I want them done, and then turned that into a business, right? So now we not only manage our properties, but we can manage other people's properties as well. And then with that, as you grow in scale, you need maintenance, lawn maintenance, snow removal, right? General repairs of properties. Mm -hmm. So then I started to build a rental crew in-house. So I've got my own guys that work exclusively for me so we can maintain our properties as well as our clients. And then of course, if, if we have to outsource, there's certain jobs that we don't do, then we know the right companies to go to for those. How big do you think somebody should be before they start outsourcing that much? Because you need business and cash flow for people to be interested to even work for you they can't work for you if you're, you're going to get you know two weeks of work and then there's nothing for a month right exactly and, and you can start out with just part-time employment um right so there's a lot of people that'll that'll come and just do part-time you give them a set amount of hours but for us and in, in my uh growth really the the number was around 50 units 
50 units. Okay. Yeah. So it was, and again, back then, you know, trying to maintain day jobs and whatnot and everything else that's going on, social life, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, it was really where we had to come down to that decision. And ultimately, we decided to create our own company mm -hmm. and hire in-house versus outsourcing. So you still had your day job until 50? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a long yeah. time into it, yeah. Yeah. So it was... Uh, mm -hmm quite a journey. Uh, I was a little bit lucky in the fact that at the casino, so I was a, a dealer. I ended up uh, after college, I got a job in the casino industry, became a dealer. And with dealing, they had uh, what's called an early out sheet. So everybody that went in and my shift, it started at uh, 4.30 in the morning till 12.30 in the afternoon. So I'm up really? at like 3, 3.30 every the day. The casino super busy most nights at 4.30 in the morning? No. Okay, <laughs> but but you'd be surprised. They're still busy, right? There's still people there, and <sighs> especially on uh, weekends and holidays, right? So what would happen is you'd have to show up for your shift, but you could sign a sheet, and then as you know the the crowd died down, they would start to close tables. So as the tables closed, if you wanted to leave early, you could, right? So what was happening is I would sign the sheet every morning, hoping that I would be able to to leave early. And, and basically leave my day job and go work on my dream of building my company. So it was interesting because a lot of my friends at the casino, you know, back then they're making $50,000, $55,000 a year. And as far as jobs go, they thought that was pretty good, benefits mm -hmm. and stuff. And they would see me leaving every morning and they'd be like, you know, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> You're going home. How are you surviving? And so in the beginning, I took a pay cut. I would be making thirty, thirty-five thousand a year because I was taking a pay cut from my day job, but I was working on my dream and I was building my portfolio. And then slowly over time, my wages, my earnings began to increase to the point where now they're still making very similar wages in a job that they don't like complaining about it. Most of them. Right. And I'm, I'm doing what I love working for myself and make significantly more than that. Right. So again, it was a bit of a sacrifice, but I did have that benefit where some days I could leave early and uh, work on the real estate. Has it been a, a consistent climb? Like when you reached 50 units and 50 is no small feat at all, was it faster to get to 100 units than it was the initial like zero to 50? It's, has it... it's much more difficult in the beginning. Much more difficult. Yeah. It, it, it's harder... And again, this comes back to mindset and systems, right? Um, it's much harder to get to 10 to, or to even manage 10 than it is to manage 100, right? Because when you've got that economy of scale, when you've got 100, you've got the capital to pay other employees. So as far as my personal time, and in my opinion, time is worth more than money, right? So in the beginning, I had all my time invested because I was doing it all myself. Once I got to a certain level, I could bring in other employees, delegate that and free up my time. So I was actually investing less time at a hundred units than I was at 10 units. It's a lot of the, the financial books that started to talk about the, um, like the economy of scale. I, I mean, I think a lot of people start out by reading something like rich dad, poor dad, or, or just yep. one of those ones that gets you in the right mindset. It's on the shelf. <laughs> it, it's not specific about literally anything, but it is an interesting book to read just psychology wise. But yeah. But yeah, they all talk about the economy of scale and how it just gets easier and you have less, you know, I think there's one, 
that the um, that Alex Kazam, the magician, the magician recommended it was something like um, the four hour work week or something, and it was just this person yeah, describing how they. That's what it, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. I read that yeah. one and I was like, it sounded incredible. How it, he scaled it up to the point where he doesn't really work all that much and still reaps so much reward from it. Exactly. You know, you know, you've probably heard this saying. When you do what you love, you never work a day yep. in your life, right? Yes. And that sounds uh, sexy, right? And it's a, it's a good marketing phrase to throw out there and people strive towards it. But it's one of those things, that's ah, a little bit BS. Is that actually true? Mm. But once you get there and you, you build your business in such a way that you only do the parts of your business that you enjoy and you delegate everything else out, it absolutely is true. Mm. And, you know, going back years ago, I never would have believed that. But sitting here in front of you today... If if you create your business in such a way, it, it's it's absolutely true, hmm. right? Like just going back to, you know, one of my big things was I had to get up at three thirty in the morning and go into a job I didn't like, and work for an employer that may or may not have appreciated the work I put in. Right? I was a badge. Like literally every employee at the casino has a number. I was just a number, right? And now I get to do what I love. And just the ability of throwing away the alarm clock and waking up naturally in the morning as opposed to this damn alarm and going into a job, that is worth more more than money to me. It's right? very interesting. Freedom. I, I think there's some freedom that we experience, at least in the, the video and photo production side, because it's a little bit on our schedule when it comes to editing and, and the business side of it. But, of course, clients have set wedding dates and set times. Right. But it's my biggest experience with freedom, and I do like it. I do as well. Um, <laughs> this is the hesitated f- there though. <laughs> this is this is the first year that I have been doing it full time. To my, uh, the success is somewhere between bad and okay. Um, there's food on the table. I'm not starving. But it is a struggle, and I do like the struggle because I was in sales for a long time. I like the hustle and whatnot. However, it it is a lot of work for less return than I was expecting. The company has been around for going on six years, and I thought when I would went full time into it that it would at least be able to walk. I didn't realize that it would still be crawling because it's a part time business. Yeah, that was fine. It was it was. It was good. Mm-hmm. And now that it's a full-time business, now I'm back to crawling. And it's interesting. It's a real, um, uh, like, I don't want to say ego reducer, but it's it, the the clouds have been cleared as to what I was doing wrong and what I was doing right. And now it's trying to make it proper without totally just screwing everything up. It, yeah. It's at the interesting stage where it's still... We don't really have the kind of business that you could make a model where you have people that you hire to take part of, like take care of the responsibilities you don't want yet. It's still not quite there. Right. I'd hope that it could be there, but I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah. I, well, the a, a little bit of uh, hope, if you will, is I think many entrepreneurs kind of go through that struggle. Like I said, I started in '98, and so from '98 to 2007. It was, you know, one step forward, two steps back, right? It was that struggle of, you know, trying to figure it out. 
And I, I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs quit. They just give up and revert back to their comfort zone or their day job, right? And so if you can hang in there and continue to put in the work and the effort and look at every every mistake or every challenge that you've had thus far in your business, don't view it as a mistake, but try and see the learning lesson in that. And if you can take the learning lesson and improve going forward, there will become this tipping point where everything starts to click and, the, and then you've just got this compounding effect, mm-hmm. right? Like at, at least that's the way it was for me. It was very, very, very slow for those first several years. And then once it all came together and clicked, it was just this rapid growth, mm-hmm. um, almost to the point where I couldn't keep up with the growth. Right. So which creates a whole nother set of problems. But that's a good problem to have. Yeah. Sounds like a better problem to have. Yeah. But but nonetheless, a problem. Um, And and that in in and of itself has taken out a lot of businesses, too. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're not prepared for the growth, it can wipe you out as well. So there's, uh, I think, learning um, hurdles every every part of the way. Hmm. But if you stick with it, you can definitely achieve it. I think that's also why you have to really like what you do, right? Because when those times get tough, um, you know, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, what's the point? Yeah. I do. I like it. I have no complaints. Even, I mean, it's March now, so it's been just under three full months of not having a normal day-to-day job. And it was a struggle at the beginning, but then again, January is hit or miss with any type of sales type scenario. Mm-hmm. Money is starting to crawl out of crevices, which is nice. Did some baby photos yesterday that paid very well. Granted, that was just me, but it's still income. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do business cards and stuff like that. So we do design and business products. So we're sort of in a position hustling. of diversifying what we do as a product, as well as I, I'm, I mentioned before. I kind of believe in the idea of diversity of income, where you have lots of different. In sources of income but even even for this photo and video stuff there's a lot of things you can take pictures of and there's a lot of things you can do video wise so i guess it it seems like it's the best idea to diversify although i don't know if we could possibly stretch too thin on that one too years ago when we started it was basically just video because that's all i knew i couldn't stretch myself out too thin because there was nothing to stretch really right and now it can be because we can we can compare to a good chunk of everybody and because we do a lot we can stand out from a lot of them like I did get a contact from a from a local cider company today that's cool that wants us to do product photos that sounds like it'd be just a random shoot just a random thing so it might scale it might snowball I just don't know. Do you find in the real estate side of things, there's more, you more gravitate towards the lower end of the market where you're looking at cheaper housing, cheaper rent for the people who eventually get it, or do you gravitate towards the higher end? For us, it's been an evolution. And and I think, again, that's just kind of part of the upbringing. Um, You know, when I first got into real estate back in 98, I was 23 years old. I had very little capital. I had even less knowledge. And I just had this burning desire that I wanted to to do something. I wanted to create my own company in some uh, fashion. And of course, I had heard that real estate was a good way to do it. 
So I just started with what I had. And so back then the only thing I could buy was a rundown uh, power of sale, mm-hmm. which is basically a foreclosure in Canada, right? And so what I ended up doing was I, I bought that property. At the time it was $69,000. I thought that was an astronomical amount of money, you know, for, for a broke kid. Uh, that's some big dough right and uh, so I was scared out of my mind I had no clue what I was doing and I just started fixing it up and renting it out to college and university kids and before long I had uh, a three-bedroom upper unit and a three-bedroom lower unit and I had all all the rooms rented out and at one point I even had the couch rented because one of their (laughs) buddies wanted to stay with them now obviously I don't recommend renting the couch but uh, for a young guy yeah, in essence, I could have been the first Airbnb, right? So, right. <laughs> but uh, but anyways, uh, the property was um, completely rented. I was living there. Uh, it was cash flowing. It was paying all the bills, all the utilities, and so that's when I decided that uh, real estate was the way to go. Really? Yeah. Do you still have that property, or has it since sold? Uh, I've since sold it. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. So. Do you do you ever look at that property longingly as a as your first, they say you never forget your first. So. Yeah, I know. I will never forget my first uh, August, <laughs> August 7th, 1998. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Um, so it was definitely. You bought it a, right before the school year started? Yeah. You said August. Did yeah. you ever rent it out for the beginning of the school year? I don't remember. I, I don't think I did because uh, I was working on it yeah. and, and fixing it up like it was a dump. So mm-hmm. no, nobody would have wanted to live there, including myself. I lived in some pretty crappy yeah. places. Um, but yeah, it was it was, uh, it was eventful. But, uh, you know, that wasn't the most memorable property for me. Uh, so going back to the, the story, bought the property, everything's going well. I'm cash flowing. I'm making all kinds of money. So then the ego starts to grow and I'm thinking, well, I'm just a really good real estate investor. I got this thing all figured out. Mm. And so I took all those savings and I went and I bought a duplex in downtown Niagara Falls. And uh, that there at the time, that property was a complete nightmare for me. I had no clue about landlord tenant board or fire uh, code or zoning Mm. issues or and none of these things that you need to be on top of fairly real important estate. things. Yeah, fairly important things, right? Properties falling apart. <laughs> Basically, uh, everything that could go wrong with a property did go wrong with that property. And I quickly sold it and uh, again reverted back to my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, looking back, that property taught me so many valuable lessons because I, I really knew that if I wanted to make this work, I had to get the right education. I had to surround myself with people that had done it um, and and could teach me. Um, A little while back, you mentioned Airbnb. Do you have any income that is from services like that instead of just regular leases? No, I currently, uh, I don't do any Airbnb. It's certainly a model that has my attention though. Mm -hmm. I'm all about cash flow, Uh, So we are considering that. Um, and going forward, some of our units, we are going to do a little higher end stuff and have some short term executive rentals. Um, That's smart. so yeah, and I do have clients and friends that have gotten into that, uh, you know, area of real estate investing. So it, something we're paying attention to. It seems like it almost works in a place, at least in my position where I'm for the most part buying houses and I have to live there while I fix them up. But if you had a guest house, then that seems like a pretty useful way to use that space 
Absolutely. And, and if it's in a good location, say if you're in very close to downtown Niagara Falls and maybe there's tourists coming by. Lots of tourists in the falls. It seems yeah. like there's it, it could work. I don't, yeah. I don't really know whether or not it would, but well, I, I have friends that do it and it works extremely well. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. The whole guest house thing is quite appealing. I, I don't know. I've always dreamed of sort of building a house next to a house just because you have a place to stay while you do it. It's convenient. And you can take your time mm-hmm. to some to some effect. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you can, you know, take your home and turn it into a cash flowing asset is mm-hmm. uh, is great, especially as a young guy who's, you know, starting down the path towards financial freedom. Um, the more capital that you can get in and the more... Uh, expenses you can reduce the the better your chances of building the portfolio right mm. so interesting yeah so i think we get along so well because we both have a drive but we have drive for different things that sometimes melt yeah. well together well, a lot of the times we get along yeah so that helps it's, it's important it's important to get along with your business partner how yes. close are you to your business partners do you talk to them every day kind of thing or yeah very good yeah most days um we're in constant communication and it's very similar to what you just suggested my business partner is very good and enjoys doing the things that i don't like and vice versa so he does all the the back end the the accounting the bookkeeping the payroll all the numbers he's the back end numbers guy whereas i'm kind of out there working on finding the properties and evaluating deals and raising capital and working with people and uh, joint venture partners. So uh, so it works really well. We've got um, complementary skill sets. At the beginning, do you, did you think you were a very decisive person when it came to picking a place? Like you would perhaps go see a couple real estate opportunities and the second you saw one, you knew that was the one you're going to go for and you didn't really beat around the bush with it or, or were you the d- careful d- type? Yeah, it depends where I was in my growth cycle, right? So in, in the beginning, I had really had no clue what I was doing. But as I began to get more and more educated and learn, then I would I would run each property through a filter, right? Um, checking out, you know, the cash flow and all the variables, making sure that it's an asset that I wanted to add to my portfolio. And so, um, so now we do that. Mm-hmm. But again, um, you know, it's a numbers game. The more deals that come across your desk, you, you quickly screen them. Yeah. Um, and the good deals you act on quickly because if not, they're gone. Um, so, yeah. It must be easier nowadays because I have a realtor.ca app and I'm sure there's other things that do this as well. But you can filter through, you can set filters based on price and zoning and other things like that. But when you do click a property, you can click on neighborhood statistics and it'll show like the median income, the median age. It'll show the... Uh, the um, amount of children and, and lots of different things and you can see the property taxes and everything like right there it, yeah. it has to be easier these days to just have that information at your fingertips yeah yeah the technology uh, definitely helps but again at the end of the day you know it's really good to have connections in the areas that you're looking at um, because you know properties that are on mls as an example listed through realtor.ca yep. well they're salespeople. they're trying to sell those deals mm-hmm. So um, I've analyzed now hundreds and hundreds of, we, we typically focus on multifamily deals. Uh, so tons of deals I've analyzed and very rarely are the numbers that are provided the accurate numbers. Really? So you want to just make sure you're double checking, right? The, because they're given approximations or, and a lot of these properties, especially the smaller ones, they're just 
kind of you know one-off landlords they're not anybody that runs their business as a professional business so they don't track the data correctly the numbers are averaged out you know so you just really got to make sure that what they're telling you is, is accurate so we always want to verify you know the property tax bill by seeing it and the utility bills the hydro the gas the water you know are the numbers that they're telling us accurate which are within your right to do obviously you yeah. need to yeah need so to you want to have butt. those clauses in your deals make sure it comes back it still cash flows um, as anticipated and then you move forward if not you just walk away from the deal Fair enough. Um, and move on to the next the other day i just found out about unpaid water bills from previous <laughs> owners of the property now i got that to sort of sort out although i got a a representative that's kind of taking care of it but the, there's just weird hidden stuff like that that seems to come up once in a while yeah. yeah so and again that's part of the learning curve and the education is really you know doing a proper assessment of the property before those things happen mm -hmm. right and also budgeting in things like property management cost even if you're self-managing vacancy rate even if the building's full Right, because a lot of uh, new investors they they think, well, I'm going to self-manage, so I'm not going to charge that expense, or the building's full, so there is no vacancy. But ultimately, if you're holding it long term, there's going to be a time where those expenses come into play, and even if you're doing the work yourself, you have to um, put a price on that. Because if you're scaling out and you eventually want to hand that off to a management company, but you didn't originally calculate in that cash flow. Mm. Well, now you could take a, a positive property and turn it into a negative very quickly. So that's one of the things, you know, lessons that I learned the hard way and something that I like to teach new investors to do properly so they don't get themselves in trouble, hmm. right? So they've got all that figured out before the deal goes firm. It, it seems like raising rent costs would be a lot more disruptive than initially setting, I guess, a higher price than to account for that. Yeah, and we're regulated with rents, right? So you, yeah, you can't can just small amount. That's right. It's one point eight. Yeah, one point eight percent. Yeah. So um, year. so yeah. So again, if you if you're buying a property with a pre-existing tenant, and it's very low cash flow because the previous landlord never increased the rent over the years, but the prices have gone up significantly, well, it's very hard to buy that property and have it be a good investment, right? There's a few people so, in this building that are living that have been here for years and some of them were given really good deals because they did property manage and whatnot and this building has changed hands a lot over the past little while and I know that these people are still in the building paying less than a third what I'm paying here yeah and you can't blame them for advantageous to them if they're, you can't blame them for sticking with it yeah, if they're yeah, only yeah. paying five hundred dollars a month for a two-bedroom apartment mm -hmm. exactly yeah, and so that's something as an investor you want to be on top of because now, you know, if somebody's buying your building based on the amount of cash flow it delivers, well, now you've got all those low rents that are very difficult to get rid of that tenant. Um, so that's going to hinder the value of your building. Mm -hmm. So these are things you want to manage throughout your holding period so that when you do come time to sell, you can get what the property's worth. I had an interesting experience when I was shopping for houses where there was a tenant living at this house and he was there while I was shown the house and he as soon as he figured out that I was looking to buy it and like get him out and, and to use the house to live in 
his tone flipped immediately. And he started telling me everything that was wrong with the house, that, that complaining, oh, the back deck I built that I'm taking it with me when I leave. (laughs) Just like the most absurd things because I guess he was getting a good deal and he wanted to keep getting a good deal. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was a funny situation. And I learned from it that, yes, there there are definitely people that are not, you know, going to be willing to move and you shouldn't buy a house like that because you would definitely lose money, I would think. Yeah, and then you're inheriting that problematic tenant too. Yes. So now you've got to deal with that mess, right? So. Yep. Now, I may be wrong. There's a likelihood I'll be wrong. But when you're buying a house that was rented before, it's within your right to change it from being a rental property to being your if you want to live there i think right yeah. because yeah. you can't do that you can't do that here somebody can't buy this and say they if they everybody, everybody out no, they can't right. no, okay they, they can't is there any way legally obviously that if somebody were to buy say this unit and they wanted to bring it up to market value is there any way that they can do that well the the couple like as far as market value income yeah yeah if they have half a dozen people that are living on lower than poverty line rental prices and they want to bring up the or i don't know maybe i'm just rambling so if if the tenant is not complying with the lease terms right paying late or not paying right problematic then you can go through the proper uh, channels and take them to the LTB and you know apply for eviction. That's one way. The other way that's faster and easier in most cases is to buy them out. So you have a, a chat with the tenant and say, "Hey, listen, we want to uh, you know take back possession of the property. We want to renovate it, add value, whatever. Um, but we understand you're getting a fantastic deal. What's it going to take?" to hmm. buy you out of your your lease and some tenants you know depending on their circumstances or where they're at they might go for that and so some investors will go that way as well what kind smart of way of doing it what kind of sum of money do you think would get somebody to move say they're paying five hundred dollars a month for rent which is that's incredible cheap cheap in their situation yeah what, if you how much would a person like that typically really want, depends on on the tenant how savvy they are what yeah. their motivations are so um, you know, if you're dealing with a tenant that has addictions to drugs or alcohol, as an example, and and you're willing to give them a thousand bucks, they would that's, probably jump on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so huh. it really depends on the tenant profile and and what their needs and wants and desires are. So it just becomes a negotiation, and some will say no, they don't want to move, and that's that's fine, that's their right. But uh, some will take you up on the offer. So. It's a funny thing where you could just plot out on a graph and see, well, this after this point, it would be losing money, or I, you know, have until that point to find something else. Or it, it's yeah. an interesting idea. I never really thought about that before. Well, like for example, you said some tenants here are paying five hundred bucks a month. Well, if you if if they were to leave and you could then clean it up and re-rent it for you know, 1200 say, as an example, well, that's an extra $700 a month. Mm-hmm. That compounded out over several years is a lot of money. Yes. yes. So, you know, to pay that tenant two, three, four thousand $4,000, you know, whatever it may be. That's paid back in a year very quickly. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And not only that, now they've added value to the building. So if the new investor, as an example, if their goal was to turn the building around and then resell it, well, they, if they could get rid of all those low rents and then resell it with all these higher rents, the building's worth significantly more. There are some people that are not necessarily real estate investors or anything like that, just more social activists, I would say, that have 
a problem with gentrification. Do you, what is, what is your opinion of that? Because cause there are definitely people that think that it's a bad thing that, you know, you move the lower income population out of the city or out of wherever it may be, and there's social problems that arise. Do you, do you think that is a legitimate concern at the same time? Because, I mean, obviously you have to do it to be a successful business in, in some ways, or you will encounter that issue eventually. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you want to be a responsible landlord and you want to be mindful of where people live. But again, at the end of the day, it's a business, yep. right? And so I, I always look for ways that it can be mutually beneficial, right? So, you know, most tenants have a number. It's just figuring out what that number is, mm-hmm. right? And, um, you know, and again, it's completely up to them. If they're a good tenant and good standing and they want to stay, then then they stay, right? And as an investor, you've got to um, deal with that. But uh, but if you're buying a large apartment complex, some some will take the cash buyout, some will want to stay. And, and over time, um, you know, things happen. Like I've had buildings as an example where I knew the tenant was never going to leave no matter what. But I also knew based on their health conditions and their age, they eventually would be uh, gone. Time was of the essence. Time was of the essence. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you own enough enough units long enough, you deal with just about kind everything. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. So in, for example, it was a 10-unit a building that we owned in Welland. And I knew the gentleman based on his age and his health condition, it wouldn't be long before uh, he was, you know, on to bigger and better things. The unit was vacated. Yeah, and sure enough, uh, a few years later, that's ultimately what happened. I guess it's a way that sort of everybody gets the best of the situation because you get what you want in not too long of a time and they got to still live there for lower rental costs. Yeah, you didn't disrupt their their life. They were comfortable, right? And, and, uh, you know, you kept them safe and comfortable as as long as possible but um, ultimately that's that's what happened and and then when it did happen we had to go in and basically it was a unit that needed a complete overhaul Mm -hmm. so we renovated everything top to bottom and then got a much higher rent and a a new tenant that uh, had a wonderful home I'm kind of curious like is it usually a big issue say you're getting a place and you're you're doing a lot of work to it do you ever hear about lots of issues like let's just say there's stuff that doesn't meet um electrical code but but by like negligence not necessarily because it's outdated like for instance i was just uh, working in my house the other day and there was three circuits going to one box and then you know it somebody clearly intentionally broke code at some point in time is there, is there a lot of that in the in the niagara region yeah, again, depending on the type of property. So if you're buying these old, you know, rundown duplexes and stuff, what happens is you get the, you know, the handyman who thinks he can fix everything on his own with the duct tape mm-hmm. and the, right, and they have really no clue what they're doing. And yeah, if you're opening up walls in these old properties, it's, uh, you're going to run into some problems more likely than not. But, but you know that going in too, right? Yeah. So if we know that we're going to be getting a unit and completely overhauling it, we've factored in the expense of just putting in all new electrical in advance of ever buying the deal. So we know what we're getting into. So a lot of um, strange stuff anyways, because I am new to it and I mostly, I mean, I build new houses, so I don't really see the way things used to be. But just seeing strange, I mean, there's lots of strange pipes in my house that 
don't go anywhere. They've been cut off at some point. They're just, you know, all over the place. And there's there's knob and tubes still there, which should have been taken out, but it wasn't. And and just lots of strange things like that. Sort of a, a history in a house is kind of interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. If you're doing it yourself, obviously it doesn't really cost anything other than maybe runs to the dump or something to get rid of it. But I wonder... Yeah, I do wonder how many houses and how much income I'd have to have before I can really pay somebody else to do that kind of stuff and scale it up. 50. It's a lot of work. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of work to rip out knob and tube or to pull off plaster and, and things like that. Right. So, so it yeah. could be a big headache if somebody doesn't know what they're getting into. Yeah, and the other thing, just back to the mindset, right? Because you're thinking of how long it would take you to earn that money to do yeah. that. But if you start thinking in terms of working with investor capital, uh, that could be done in a couple of days hmm. right if you're if you have access to people with capital because there's plenty of people out there that make a lot of money they want to invest their money but they got corporate jobs they got families yeah. and they don't want to do the day-to-day -day operations involved in real estate so that's where you could partner with an individual like that they put up the capital you put up the experience and you do the deal together. So this individual, is this somebody that is already in that kind of market or is it, who is this individual that I'd be looking for basically? So for me, what I look for in a, in a joint venture partner is exactly what I outlined. So I want somebody that's a high income earner, corporate job, ideally, has a family, has a, a busy social life, right. understands the value of real estate, wants to earn money with real estate, but doesn't want to do any of the work. So that individual is my ideal partner because I've already got the management team, the reno team, the experience, the knowledge, right? I've got all the systems in place. So they put in the money and the credit, I take care of everything else, and then we partner on the deal. So what does that involve? Does it mostly just involve moving money or is it like them signing on to something with you as a co-signer? Yeah, so there's many ways you can structure it, um, but everything's done through the lawyer. Typically, the way we do it is through uh, joint venture agreements okay. um, and uh, trust agreements. And then the money, so the money never comes directly to us. It goes to the lawyer and the lawyer facilitates the capital. Um, and then, of course, the investor is on title. So their investment is secure and safe uh, within the real estate. Interesting. What kind of risks are involved or maybe perhaps what negative outcomes could come of that? So the, the negative is if you partner with somebody um, who doesn't share the same vision as you do, mm -hmm. right? So if you partner with somebody that's less than desirable, it can be a nightmare. If you partner with somebody that wants to control the, the entire deal, that can cause issues. And again, this is why you want to do your pre-screening well in advance. So new investors, they have somebody with money, they're excited just to do a deal and they'll partner with anybody. <laughs> Over time you learn that it's not just about who has the capital, but it's who has the capital and shares the same vision that you do. So they understand that if they're putting their money in a deal, these are the terms and it's mapped out in your joint venture agreement well in advance of ever putting the money into the deal. It's an entirely new world, and I haven't read any books on that, but it does sound very interesting. Yeah. I know some people might, like, co-sign on a mortgage with their parents or something, but this is an entirely yeah, different Yeah, completely thing. different, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, we could go, we could turn this into a, you know, a 25-series uh, podcast and go deep into all these strategies, but... It does sound like fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we, um, have, yeah, we have the equipment. <laughs> 
cameras, everything set up. Yeah. But there's private money, joint ventures, right? There's all kinds of strategies. And again, you, you learn as you as you go. And the more strategies that you're able to implement, then the more opportunities you can take advantage of. Huh. So many, so much to it. You mentioned, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the cameras. Jesse's deep in thought there. I can yeah. see him. Um, I'll draw the attention away to something different unless you have something to say. Well, I had other, you draw, I have questions. I'm just trying to figure out how to ask them. Okay, so. We'll divert quickly. Yeah. We mentioned the setup we have. You mentioned to me before the show that you have an interest in podcasting and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, what is it specifically you want to do? You want to talk about the same kind of stuff you were already talking about in, in writing or is it something different? Yeah, so uh, basically what I want to convey is, so my, my company that facilitates coaching and training people how to uh, invest in real estate is called CARE. And CARE is an acronym for Correct Action Real Estate. Okay. And so essentially I want to cover off two, two uh, sides. One is the, the transactional components of how to do real estate, how to invest, how to create financial freedom, right? So that's one element that I want to cover on the show. And then the, the next part of that element is more the transformational stuff. It's the internal, it's the mindset. So it's the self-care. So one care is correct action real estate. The other one is self-care. Because what I found with a lot of people that I work with and most entrepreneurs is they go about building a business in such a way that creates a second job. And they get stressed and tired and they quit and they give up. And I want to teach people how to build their real estate portfolio in such a way that it delivers not only the finances, but it also delivers the freedom, mm -hmm. right? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what everyone's looking for. So yes. if, you're, if you're not completely passionate about real estate, that's okay. Neither am I. But real estate is a tool that I use to fund my desired lifestyle. Right. And so by creating the portfolio and the assets and the systems, then that builds the wealth, which then funds the things that I love to do. Right. Like traveling, which is why we have land down south and so on and so forth. So you see yourself talking about this stuff in specifically the podcast format or some other format maybe as well? Well, I was originally and again, this is very uh, it's early, early on. And, it's okay. Yeah. So originally I was thinking just focusing on podcast audio only. Yeah. It's a great um, way to do it. Great way to get started. Yeah, and I, the cost, like the barrier to entry for that, uh, even new. Not that you'd want to just start, but new cell phones have decent microphones so you could just record into if you wanted. There's podcasting apps. You're, right. if you have a phone, you can podcast if you want, which is nice. Yeah. we chose the. We already had the equipment. So yeah. It was yeah. easy for us. Um, so yeah, I was originally thinking, you know, audio, and that's probably the way I'll go in the beginning. Mm -hmm. However, I do understand the value in video as well. And so the more modalities that you have out there, the more ways that people can connect with you as from sales and marketing perspective, then the more opportunity to help and serve other people, right? So, so eventually I'll evolve into uh, the video as well, I think. It You'd but, probably uh, be able to get a lot quicker growth than, than us, at least, because you have this sort of background and this information that people really want to delve into. I mean, we're just two guys that are talking about life experience. And I should also part. mention, you've done something that few people can say. Like, you are a successful business person. You're living 
you know, you say, quote unquote, the American dream, although we're in Canada, Canadian. so you're living yeah. the Canadian dream. Yeah, yeah. And you have a tremendous social media following. Like you are the if we bent if we went based just on social media alone, you are the most famous person we've had because you have like yeah, really nobody comes close to you by half. not even Niagara four hundred one no no wow wow I I never really uh, thought of it that way because again I've always just kind of been a small town guy humble beginnings and just plugging away. Uh, you know, with this burning desire of creating that financial freedom and then helping other people along the way, right? I think ultimately if you boil down how to earn money, that's the only way is to help others, right? Um, so yeah, I've never really put a heavy focus on the sales and marketing side of my business. Um, even things like this, like speaking in podcasts or public speaking or speaking on video, never came naturally to me and it wasn't something that I enjoyed being the forefront took me a long but, time to get used to it yeah but I also understand that if if I want to you know create a bigger impact then I have to have these different modalities so other people can connect with me so social media is pretty much everything these days for a lot of businesses but if you are just getting into the podcasting and everything just because we I have and I manage our company manages other social media pages too and we again nowhere near how did you drive that growth because the last time i checked you're at over seventy thousand social media facebook followers yeah and if you've just like you're just getting into the podcasting side of things how i mean real estate is obviously very important so i'm assuming real estate would probably drive followers but how has that growth been like how did you do you just post really regularly or something uh so a little bit of everything so again i believe heavily in education right so i'm not a a sales guy or marketing guy or social media guy um and so when i wanted to grow that right as things became more and more popular and you know facebook and instagram and all these social media platforms is I wanted to scale, but I didn't know how. So I, I figured out who's really good at this and I hired them. And oh, so, okay. right, like I just, I bought their program essentially. And I just followed the the format of what they said to do inside that program. And then I'd slowly chip away at that, you know, every day, every week, every month over time. And then the following started to, to grow and grow and build and build. I haven't really looked into people's guides or that kind of stuff, but what is the, I have. the cost to read somebody's material on how to post things, I guess. Well, it, it can vary. And this is part of the challenge with um, with the internet, right? You can get courses on Udemy for 29 bucks or something and all the way up. So for example, the, uh, the course on podcasting, I invested, um, what was that? Was that on Udemy? The, no, the no, no. Okay. Um, I like some of the Udemy courses. I've taken a few, they're handy. Yeah, yeah. I, I just and cheap. I just bought a couple that are on Facebook marketing and ads and stuff too, just because I want to always learn. But uh, my total investment on the podcast uh, program will be basically it's four hundred bucks a month for twelve months. Um, so that's Ooh, that's uh, pretty steep. Forty eight hundred bucks invested. Wow. Right? So um, so yeah, and uh, and that's again because it's American, right? The the cost was two ninety seven a month, but when it comes in it's like what, bucks. what are they that's impressive i want to know what they're talking yeah about. what are they prov- like 
is it just their content teaching you or are they providing a service as well? That's, that's an interesting uh, business. This particular course was just content, right? It was content and um, one-on-one calls with, with the teacher. Okay, one-on-one is and, uh, group, Yeah, group calls. And uh, so anytime there's, what I've found is whenever there's the one-on-one component, like someone's putting their time in versus a, a recorded course, the, the cost tends to go up significantly. Of course, yes. um, so, so, and that's kind of what I like because I, I, I want to speak to the guy that's actually done it versus just some random one-off. So for me, I'm willing to invest in my education because like you said, that that's a lot of money. However, I also know that if I can impact more people, that that can come back to me tenfold, right? It, so It's an interesting example where it shows that you see worth in something where another person might just say, oh, podcasting, that's easy. I could just, you know, turn on the microphone and just start talking and it'll be a success because frankly, the experts at it, you look at people that are really popular at podcasting, like, I mean, Joe Rogan's the one we always talk about on the show, very popular guy, but it looks like that's what he's doing. He makes it look really easy. I mean, yeah. and he has somebody in the background that's running things a little bit and he gets quite incredible guests, but... Unbelievable guests. But it looks easy. So it, yeah. it it's the opposite of the Dunning-Kruger effect where somebody who knows less about something will insist that they know a lot about something. It's it's the, well, you know, I, if I invest this much money, maybe there's an expert out here that can tell me everything I need to know because I don't know much to start right. with, right? And I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of young guys that just watched YouTube for free and started a podcast and figured it out, right? Yeah. Um, it's but, an easy way and a hard way if you... Yeah. Trial and error. Want Trial to and error. Listen to people. Yeah. Exactly. But the older I've gotten, I, I value my time. So if I can invest money to save time, I'll do it every every every. Because you have a, you now have a complete system. You have the one-on-one support, and you know exactly where you go if you have questions. Versus spending twenty minutes trying to find the right YouTube video, and then spending twenty minutes scrolling through that YouTube video finding the right, right. answer. And then then the third video contradicts the first video, yep. yes. and you're like, who's right? So having the, the clearly defined system and, and if I can shave time off the equation, that's that's money well spent. That's what it took 52 episodes to learn with this. When we do our editing, it's about as quick as it can possibly get for like the editing process. We yeah. can get it done. And when I'm editing the video, I edit it at basically one and a half speed. So, so I'm takes, editing faster. It takes than, less yeah. time to edit it than it takes to record it, which is perfect. Which is nice. I got even better because I do the audio and I can do two hours worth of audio in maybe 20 minutes. So not bad at all. Yeah. Time is money. Yeah. Right. It's a good attitude to have. Yeah. Yeah. You start doing more things probably at that point because you have more time. Yes. Yeah. Again, it's about delegation, right? If you look at, like, I just look at, you know, some of the big guys like Sir Richard Branson as an example, who owns hundreds and hundreds of companies. Well, how is he able to do that? And the way he can do that is through systems and delegation, right? He has a team of people that can go in and run those companies while he gets to then do the things that he loves and enjoys. <laughs> Kite surfing off of his island or whatever he does, right? But um, but yeah, I just model their, their success and implement that as best I can in my own life. So you... You said before that you you look for multifamily units. Yes. But you also have commercial units as well, right? And you... um, So when you're looking for units like that, do you you still like the mixture of 
of commercial like on the ground floor and then residential on the top or do you own just straight commercial units as well yeah we we have all of all of the above right so we have buildings that are straight residential we have buildings that are straight commercial and then we have buildings that are mixed use which are residential and commercial so we have a little bit of everything okay that's good kind of have everything that you need that's neat i like um we had a mutual friend that, I mean, Eric and I have a mutual friend that wanted to get into to business and they wanted to get into business for themselves and they found a great deal on something. It was a turnkey operation, but what they didn't take into consideration is as great as the price was, there was also a lease that they were getting into and the lease was crazy, right? pricey. So thankfully, especially given the way that that business ultimately turned out and the subsequent businesses after in that space, they went against purchasing said unit and said business. But yeah, you never think about, or at least I try to always be aware. Once again, I'm not renting or I'm not owning anything, but I do try to be aware of the hidden costs, not that leases are hidden costs. Now I'm just rambling. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's That's very... okay. I understand where you're going, right? Just making sure that um, before you get yourself into a, a I like researching. lease. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's part of it. Research in advance so you can avoid those problems down the road, right? But then there's also comes a time where you know, a lot of people get stuck in that rut of analysis of paralysis, analysis, paralysis, something like that. So yeah, yeah, you got to eventually pull the trigger. Um, because you know that a lot of people want to see everything in advance. And sometimes the only way to do that is to pull the trigger, jump in and figure it out as you go. Right. So I, I mean, I love, business books and stuff like that. I think uh, real estate real estate ownership is very important. Um, I hadn't really thought about the any other scheme, not scheme, but any other way of doing it except for the purchasing and managing. I never thought about the, the short-term buy and sell, although flipping houses has always been on my mind, except I am not nearly as handy as you, so I have to yeah. flip and sell. But, but it sounds like outsourcing is kind of the way to do it, too, once you get into yeah, yeah. it a bit more. And yeah. there's there's many strategies, like we've just touched on a few here tonight, yes. mm-hmm. but uh, all kinds. Like there's way you could wholesale deals where you never own the property, right? You find it, get it under contract, and then sell it to somebody that wants to flip it. You assign the contract. So it's all kinds of strategies that you can implement. Would you say, I'm trying to think of the scale here, but when I was going around looking at houses, I heard of somebody that had um, about 80 properties in Welland. What would you say the top real estate investors in the region have as far as units? Like what is a large number of units and maybe the most, you know, the median number of units that most investors have? Well, just globally, uh, you know, very, very few people have 80 doors. Right. Like I think I think in Canada or North America, the statistics are like only four percent of the population has more than one property. Really? And out of that four really? percent, three, three percent of that four is a home and a cottage. Right. <laughs> so there's a very small percentage of people now, that have. <laughs> I now realize that I'm in a very small minority. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. And so uh, lots of opportunity. 
but you got to be willing to get out there, take action, and and uh, implement it, right? Are there? Do you think there's any people in the region that maybe have like five hundred doors or? Oh yeah, doors? absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, but again, they're very few, right? Very few. But there's there's large corporations that, um, you know, have several thousand doors, right? So, really depends. Sky's the limit on how big you want to create your company. Do you want to be the next thousands of doors corporation or do you want <laughs> it sounds like a game of monopoly pretty much <laughs> yeah so early on uh when i was younger and and uh really into growth that that was the biggest focus but as i've gotten older and wiser and really focused on you know why am i investing what's the end goal what do i want um now it's not a matter of how many doors or, or pieces of real estate do I own, but it's is the bill is the business structured in a way that delivers my lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? So, for me, my personal goal is to essentially duplicate what I've got going on here down south, so that when it becomes cold and miserable here in mm-hmm. Canada, love Canada, right? Never, never want to fully disengage from this country. However. You know, when December rolls around, I want to be down south, but I, I'm still young. I still want to be actively involved in business and real estate and investing and teaching and coaching, right? And so I'm going to just duplicate my business down south and be able to come back and forth freely. So probably six months there, six months here, that sort of thing. So you have, as you said before, you have land down south. And I've always joked one of my, <laughs> like one of my dream jobs would be, being would be to buy a small resort down south and manage that like we've talked about it right extensively and i'm very far away from that but are you when you say duplicating your success here so you're talking purely residential and i guess because duplicating would mean there'd be some commercial so a mix of residential and commercial down south in florida or no, Caribbean, Island. Caribbean for me. So again, I, I'm not a huge, love the States, like many Americans. Right, we friends, did say but, that it was, yeah. never mind. Um, but yeah, I'm not a huge fan of uh, the States because again, it comes with its own set of challenges. Yeah. For me, I want to go further south and the Caribbean culture, That's you know, exciting. the tropical islands, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And again, the the tenant profile will change because here we ha- we rent to families and businesses and so on but down there it's going to be all vacation rentals so we're going to target uh, the tourists right and so well, if you change your mind and you need a resort manager <laughs> well i might need somebody to do pictures and videos right of all the weddings that go through so that could work could be a fruitful relationship yeah. <laughs> you could be the manager slash photographer slash videographer call me that's that's actually it's a little bit funny because yeah. the end goal for a lot of photographers and videographers maybe that we know but also just as a broader term is they want to be the preferred vendors of you know the specific venue or or maybe resort or something and that's almost like the end goal for a lot of those people that that's their their job whether they own the company or they're an employee and they you know do that kind of stuff just to have that consistent you have the consistent income now but you're still you're not a business owner you're not getting income from anywhere else it definitely shows that you know getting into this and all that you don't have to stop there you can go so much further than just you know yeah sky's sky's the limit right and it really comes back to what we talked about very early on which is the mindset right because even um jesse just said like i'm i'm nowhere near there yet 
but if we could just tweak that mindset a little bit and get you figuring out how to raise capital, you're a lot closer to that than you ever thought possible. It's just actually believing it and, and then taking action upon it, which I, again, I understand is challenging. I, I was there in my late teens, early 20s, so. Well, now I'm well approaching the late 20s and I have to figure something out. I, I love the idea of owning a resort, but I read a book and I read a book as a recommendation from somebody who said, if you want to own a resort down south, you must read this book. And it's called Don't Stop the Carnival. It's a book by a guy named Herman Walk. And okay. it's a story of a uh, Broadway might have been a producer or a Broadway I'm just going to call him a producer who ends up having a heart attack takes place in the 50s has his like midlife crisis because of the heart attack buys a resort on a tropical island and it's the misadventures like they they run out of water he ends up getting a a witch doctor pissed off at him and he <laughs> the witch doctor comes to try to behead him and while it's very much a farce it sounds like based on some of the culture still in the Caribbean, it still could be possible. <laughs> yeah. Again, you, you have to uh, do your research, right? And make sure that it's something that, that you want to do. So which yeah. Caribbean islands are hotspots for the kind of thing you want to do? Or is that top secret? No, nope. classified. No, no secrets here. Uh, <laughs> so I really like um, Roatan. Okay. Is one of the top contenders, which is basically an island off the coast of Honduras. So I'm looking at uh, Roatan, uh, Dominican Republic, uh, Belize. I've been doing Ooh, some yeah. research. Love Belize is hot now. And um, Cartagena, Colombia, as well as another nice. potential option. So looking at a few different uh, spots. But yeah. Exciting. It, I would definitely have to look into it a lot because I know there's some that are prohibitive in the sense like you couldn't do this in Cuba. And there's, there's very yeah. specific Again, laws. Unless you wanted a wife. And that's where <laughs> doing the research and the due diligence, right? Some some countries will allow foreign ownership. Some don't. Some have you know, pros and cons with everything. So that's kind of one of the things that I'm really working through now is seeing which, which country, which destination is going to be best suited for my goals. That sounds like good research, though, because I feel like you fun. would need to do a little yeah. bit of hands-on yeah. seeing a, the island a research. Yeah. In, your, in your flip-flops. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing more enjoyable than, than making money investing in real estate in your flip-flops with a cold beer. So It's a, it's a good life. We've we sort of been selling, <laughs> selling the dream, but like, how often do you actually, say, go on vacation a year? Is it, is it several weeks of the year? Is it you know, less than yeah, that? Yeah, I usually get away two, three times a year yeah, right now. Because, again, good. I'm heavily involved in my business here. Mm -hmm. But once I uh, really commit to a destination and start to build, like I said, I'm going to be there longer and longer. And so it's going to be slow increments of phasing it in, you know, two, three, four months, and eventually six months a year. And if all goes well, who knows, possibly longer. So pretty neat. I think the best that I at least have been able to achieve so far is we've, we've sort of been able to go on a vacation once a year, but that comes out of like, you know, working your nine to five job and saving up money kind of thing. It's not really right. It, it's sort of spending all that you've saved kind of a, an issue. Yeah. Having the cash flow where you, it doesn't really hurt you as much would be nice. The best, the best and worst, best for 
finances and worst for the contents, even though it was still fun vacation I ever had. So we did a destination wedding in Dominican. Okay. And because of the job that I had back then, I was able to make a full paycheck here while I was away because my money was being made by other people while I was away. Right. And that just alone was made it enjoyable because I didn't lose anything for the time that I was away. Yeah. And that's so, one of the things I appreciated about baby photos. Yeah. So here's another thing, for example, for you guys for doing like podcasts and videos and stuff like that, right? Is what's interesting, and a lot of young guys and gals are doing this now is have to be inclusive. <clears throat> Well, earn, earning in dollars, so you make Canadian money, right? You earn here, and depending on how you structure yourself, some of this could be ran while you're down south. But if you're earning in dollars but living in pesos, your money goes a lot a further, further, yeah. right? So what would be an average income here, you'd live like a king down there. So how does, Is that a bit of a headache when it comes to tax season or...? Yeah, I mean, everything has <laughs> pros and cons. Yeah. You've got to, you know, if you're uh, doing everything legally and legitimately. Which but, we always do. Yes, of course. Of course. Uh, but many people have, you know, businesses that they have set up in Canada or the States, but they run them from, from wherever they are, right? They're geographically independent. So if you could, you know, work Tax on... Tax haven, kind of? Some, some of them look at that. Like, yeah. for example... Um, Puerto Rico, um, with the hurricane and all of that and being a territory of the U.S., they're offering like huge tax incentives for people that are willing to invest money in Puerto Rico. So again, all of that is you know research that you'd have to dive into if you really wanted to make it happen. But the, the point is, if you want it, you can definitely do it. It's very positive. I feel like people who make it big in maybe the arts or sciences are more cynical than a lot of business savvy people and, and all that it's it's an interesting when, when i went to school and the longer i am out of school the more i realize that my professors most likely were teaching because they did not become the next spielberg and they took the the very nice college professor salary so their mentality might come from that but they were very and it's i mean to their credit, they were right as well, but they were very realistic in the sense that it is very hard and chances are you will not make it. And statistically right now, they aren't wrong. But um, it, it is interesting listening to creative people be honest. They can be, as you said, more cynical. And I would, I would say that I mean, you're not cynical whatsoever. No, you're probably the most optimistic person we've ever had on the podcast, quite yeah. possibly. Well, again, it just comes back to mindset. I believe that, you know, you you get to create your life, right? And so if you believe things are challenging and difficult, then, then for you, that will be your reality, right? Um, and I, I like to look at things and see the good in everything and learn the lessons. Not to say that I haven't gone through a ton of challenges, because I've gone through just about anything you can think of over the years right from my childhood growing up I've overcome a lot of adversity but I think having gone through that adversity is what allows me to be so optimistic because I've I've been on both sides of the spectrum right 
and I, I can tell you that it's so much better being where I am today than mm -hmm. where I was when I was younger. So I guess having the baseline of where you started out being so much lower than where you are now, it kind of puts things into perspective. Right. It's almost. Yeah. In that way, I, I kind of look back. Thankfully, that some of the work, the first jobs I ever had as like a teenager were the worst jobs, like factory, twelve-hour shifts, just lead and mercury in the air. So you had to wear a respirator and like just ridiculous Been there. conditions. And yeah. it makes building houses and framing and, and construction type stuff look easy, and I f it feels easy in comparison. So yeah, I'm thankful for that. Yeah, you just reflect back on those tough times and it gives you a whole new appreciation for what you have today, right? Mm -hmm. So I try, but um, I come from a long line of hardworking men, farming people. Uh, it's not really a surprise that I want to be, or I am self-employed because I come also from a long line of self-employed people. But my dad, hardworking, stepmom, hardworking, all that. And then here's me, I want to be the artist. Right. So yeah. now I have to prove myself slowly with yeah. much. Stay with it. It'll well, happen. I am. It'll not, happen. I, I, I'm, I've worked my way into being very unemployable in a lot of other senses. So, <laughs> Well, that, that's the other thing. Once you get a taste of freedom and working for yourself, it, it certainly has its challenges, right? But it's so much better than working for somebody else that um, in a job that you don't like and they don't appreciate your your efforts so a lot of people find it very important to feel appreciated at their job and that's a very human attribute i think everybody feels it i've almost and it's a type of cynicism cynicism i've pretty much fallen into the routine of not caring anymore what people th may or may not think like of course there might be gestures that the, your boss doesn't appreciate you or that they do i hope you, you still never, care about what i think yes but okay. you'll never <laughs> good answer you'll never really know for sure and almost if you can disconnect yourself from that it's a little bit easier to bear at least if you're stuck at your nine to five job while you build up some kind of income i find it's a good mindset yeah. not to be so worried about feeling yeah. appreciated yeah and well for me the other thing is i use all those uh adversities as fuel mm -hmm. it drives me to want to be better faster yeah. Right. How do I get out of here quicker? Right. That's true. So, yeah. Use the adversity as fuel. Seems like pretty good advice. I'm working on it. <laughs> um, doing this podcast, it's always interesting because when we, when we started talking about doing a podcast, we had a whiteboard as a lot of people do think of it as seen out of the movie out of a movie and we were writing lists of people that we wanted to interview and you're this is going to sound bad but then I'm going to bring it around yeah. you were not originally on that list but I'm glad because we didn't know who you were but through luck of the draw we figured it out and there's some really good information in the in this so coming from somebody who now has probably like 80 hours of him talking and listening on the internet yourself included Fair. um you're I mean, you you have the facebook following so you're a social media influencer people hate that term but it's true and you if you i don't know when are you going to start your pot where's your development in the well, I, I don't have an exact uh, date yet, but I'll, I'll certainly let you know. And I'd give who knows, maybe you guys can 
be a part of it in some way. Be really cool. So, yeah. Because uh, do do you see? I guess this is something I might have asked. Should have asked earlier. You're gonna do it for free, right? Or are you gonna? Or no, it's gonna for be, free. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. some people pay gate free. podcast, and that's fair if it's more of like a teaching opportunity or like a one of those pre-recorded lessons. But yeah. Yeah. No. All the all the podcast content and videos, if I evolve into that, will be for free. That's a good way to do it. With the hope that they find the the information so astounding that they want to pay to get one-on-one time with <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, or or at least take action, right? If, if not with me directly, then with somebody, right? Like just let's inspire people to go out there and become empowered to break out of the cycle and uh, become financially independent, right? So that's the goal. That's the mission. Yeah, I know we're so far away, but one of the things that I have tried to... Uh, oh, wait, I can't say we're so far away. Positive mindset. One of the things I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try somebody who's brave enough to to try to sponsor us at some point, even though we have such a small, small, small... It's an interesting route to go. I mean, I remember there was a day where you could run ads on YouTube and make a decent amount, but that doesn't really exist anymore. Can't do it until YouTube's kind of weird that way now because you have to prove yourself worthy to be monetized. To be ad- advertised. Because you need to have a certain amount of followers and a certain amount of video views. Right. It seems like you could probably generate the viewership that would give or you'd be able to make money from the content, not necessarily just from viewers paying to watch it, but just from like ad revenue and stuff like that. Do you would you probably include ads in your content you think uh at at this point no No. um really my goal with starting the podcast is to just get really good quality information out to help uh to help my fellow canadians become financially independent through real estate and so that's really the goal um as far as monetizing it with ads and stuff like that that's not a concern no Uh, for me i have all the back-end stuff that handles my finances well, sounds like the better way to do it because honestly once you start giving ads it looks like you have ulterior, ulterior motives to some extent well yes yes yeah and a lot of people use like youtube as a source of income right yeah. whereas for me my sources of income are all through real estate and business and this is just a, a medium to get information out to help others so and grow the business as well yeah more people that know absolutely. your name the better yeah absolutely yeah it's, it's got to be a win-win for everybody right deliver valuable content to others and then some of them may resonate and reach out to you and and some of them may take the information and run with it on their own um but either way is uh you're putting good things out there so i believe it'll all come back to you one way or the other i agree and i always joke because we're at a point where we've we've had some interesting guests on and we've had some guests that have said some things that aren't necessarily the most politically correct it's okay. and yeah. Our name being attached to it <laughs> might have we've raised said things some that issues aren't politically correct, but, but also at the same time, I would hate to be an intern if I applied for a job where the boss is like, "Well, we really like him, but we need to see what he's like on social media." Here, need you to yeah, research yeah. them, and they stumble across this, and they're like, "Holy shit!" But if you have eighty the, hours, <laughs> but having the independence again of doing <laughs> stuff yourself, you're not such at risk. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And the the other side of that is sometimes controversy generates more attention. Right? Yes, yes. Many like, people use it to their benefit. Yeah, you look at Donald Trump, president of the U.S., right? <laughs> Very successful half, because of his controversy. Exactly. Half the country hates him, half the country loves him, 
and now he's the president of the country. It's kind yeah, of the perfect it, ratio because you have two people that are very fueled and pitted against each other, which is yeah. why people say it's not so much of a democracy in the states anymore as it is a two-party system. But yeah, yeah. controversy That's, sells too. Mm-hmm. So as long as it you know brings the attention and then you can uh, deliver value, um, I think you'll be all right. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've been podcasting for a while. We've hit on a lot of different points. Is there something that you think you need to get out there? Maybe something we haven't talked about? Because, well, I uh, I think we've covered a lot of information here. We have. Um, and uh, and so really, I, I want to thank you guys for the opportunity yes. to come out. Thank you so much for coming. It's been yeah. great. It's it's been awesome. And you know, I appreciate it. We if people it. want to connect with me, um, I'm always available. I like to uh, respond as, as quickly as possible. Sometimes it's not always right away. But if people want to reach out to me, my my website, the best place to reach me is at jeffreywoods.com. And that's spelled J-E-F-F-E-R-Y, W-O-O-D-S. On the screen now if you're watching a video or maybe in a, a Yes, link, I will make sure somewhere. it's there. Yeah. So that's that's the best way to reach out to me, and then they can connect with me through that on all the social media and my website. So awesome! All right, thank you. It's been great. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Uh, see every see everybody next week. But thank you, Jeff. Have a good night. You're welcome. Yeah. Take care, guys. Goodbye. <laughs>